Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. We are continuing on with our Armor of God series today. So one last time, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Well, hopefully it's not one last time. Hopefully you come to Ephesians more in your life. But as far as the summer goes, this is our last little bit in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It reads, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we talk about spiritual battles, and we talk about the fights that we have, and we talk about the armor and the weapons that we use, there is no more powerful weapon in our inventory than the Word of God. It is the Word of God that we fight our fights, both internal and external. It is the weapon that we use to slay our inner demons and the demons of the world. But it is still a very dangerous weapon to wield. The Bible talks a lot about the two-edged nature of the sword of the Word of God. That it cuts us as well as it cuts others. I think we've all been there, not just in sermons, but in reading something, and it cuts a little deep for us. It's a little hard for us to swallow. But sometimes those... Those injuries that we get while we wield this sword, it teaches us how to wield it better. Believe it or not, I was in Taekwondo for several years when I was a kid. I, and in fact, I got up to a brown belt. But we had a class that we got to take when we got to a certain level, and it was our weapons class. And we got to learn how to use the bow staff and the screamer sticks and all these different weapons. And I remember with that bow staff especially, you know, it's this real long staff that you use and you're going to whack yourself several times with it the first several classes trying to figure out how to use this thing. And that's the same with, with just about anything that we use, any tools or weapons. Is You're going to hurt yourself a little bit trying to figure out how to wield it. And that's something that the, the Word of God does. How many of us have, have known somebody in our life, or maybe us ourselves, and we really want to strengthen our faith and we really want to, to be better Christians. But when you open up the Word of God, it tells us something we don't want to hear. Or there's words on the page that we don't really like seeing. and It's going to clash with our ideologies or our lifestyle. But it's still there. How many of you have heard me say something that steps on some toes? That leaves you feeling a little wounded yourself when you leave. 
But make no mistake about it that, that this, this weapon here, the Word of God, is more dangerous than any sword, it's more dangerous than any assault rifle, it's more dangerous than any atomic bomb there's ever been. More people have died for that Word than anything else. It has changed more lives, it has changed more countries than anything else. It is the most powerful artifact that we have on this world is the Holy Bible. Hands down, no doubts about it. But, like any weapon, it can be picked up by anyone and used by anyone. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke. Luke chapter 4. Because it's very important that we understand the nature of our enemy. The nature of those with which we fight. Last night we watched the movie uh, Let There Be Light. Kevin Sorbo plays a world-renowned atheist. And in so many of these situations, they know the Word of God as well, if not better, than we do. And they use that Word to defend their stance. The Word of God can be used by anyone who picks it up, Christian or non-believer. But the thing to remember, too, is that Satan loves to use the Word in his favor. In chapter 4, we find Jesus being led to the wilderness. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, Satan says, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is probably the fiercest battle in the entirety of our scripture. This right here. These short few verses. We see cities like Jericho falling and crumbling down. We see shepherd boys slaying giants. But there is no fiercer battle than the one between our Savior and Satan himself. As Satan tries desperately to bring Jesus away from his Father and from his plan. And what weapons do they yield? Do they wield? The Word of God. Both of them. Jesus answers every temptation with Scripture. With prophecy. What does Satan answer with? Scripture. He tells Jesus exactly what the Word says. Let there be no mistake about it. 
Satan wants us to be comfortable and think that we're in a good spot. He doesn't want us looking for answers. He doesn't want us looking for salvation. He wants us comfortable. Because when we're comfortable and we think that we're good, we don't go to God for help, for salvation, for understanding. And Satan knows that one of the best ways to do that is to tell us what we want to hear. To tell us what we need to hear in our, in our minds, but not in our hearts. To tell us that we can be kings of all this domain. Jesus had an important mission before Him. It was to save all of mankind and, and to spread the message of God and His love. And He was offered right here in this moment the chance to be king of the world. True king of the world. Political king of the world. Actual authority over man. But He knew it was His job not to be sitting on a, on a material throne, but a spiritual one. That He was the spiritual king of the world. I can't imagine that temptation. We know it was rough because in some of the other Gospels it says that the choir of angels comes down to console Jesus after that temptation. That Jesus is so distraught after He is victorious over Satan, He's not jumping up and down, you know, fist bumps in the air, I did it, I, I defeated Him, but He is so mentally wrought and anguished that the angels themselves have to come and comfort Him after this battle. That's how much it took out of Jesus The Word of God, the sword that we wield, is incredibly sharp and it is incredibly dangerous. And I keep talking about the fact that it's dangerous because it's really important for us as Christians to understand that it can be misused. And it's probably one of the most misused artifacts that there is in this world. It has a very divisive nature. It can tear communities, countries, families apart the Word of God and its interpretation. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 now. And somehow, in just about every sermon I've ever given, I can come back to this, this bit of Scripture. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, it talks about the cost of discipleship what it means to follow Jesus, to actually take up our cross and follow Him, about the lives that we will live in His name, and about the cost of living those lives. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more of value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth, 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. The first takeaway from this scripture comes from verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. There's a bigger message here because what he is saying is like we are so worried about what's going to happen to our material bodies. So more about what's going to happen to our material stuff that we care not about what happens to our spiritual soul. He's saying here, this world can only kill your body. There's nothing on it that can kill your soul. There is nothing on it that can destroy your spiritual being, your identity, the very thing that makes you, you. It's not our bodies. It's not our brains inside of our skulls. It's our soul. There is nothing on this planet that can destroy it. There's only one force in the entirety of existence that can destroy that, and that's God. That's what we need to be worried about. But in Matthew 10.34 and I've said this again, I've said this countless times, but this is the verse that changed my Christian life. This is the verse that resonated so deeply with me that when the first time I read it and I actually comprehended what it said, I remember staring at that verse for a very long time, just awestruck at what it said. For Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. I grew up my entire life, Jesus Christ, baby in the manger, peace on earth, goodwill to all men, all of this mentality of a, a tranquil, peaceful Jesus. Don't rock the boat. Let's just go in and be kind and loving to everyone. I grew up believing that, that Jesus was peace personified, that everything about him was peace. That that's what he came to the world to do, was to make us all peaceful and to get along but no, in this scripture, in this verse, he is telling his disciples that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And we know, of course, that he's not talking about a sword made of wood and iron. He's talking about the word of God that he wields. But he knows the divisive nature of that word. For it's going to set man against son, brother against brother, mother against daughter. It's going to tear households down the middle. Why do you think there's over hundreds and hundreds of denominations just within the Christian faith? The hundreds of millions of individuals who believe in this word right here, who will tell you that this is the word of God, that this is true, that this is the only truth that matters, and not two individuals on this planet can agree with every single verse and its interpretation. 
Because it's a sword. Because it's divisive. But that's its power. Because it has a lot of words in there that a lot of people don't want to hear. It's got a lot of Scripture in there and a lot of messages and commandments that a lot of people don't want to adhere to. The cost of discipleship is putting on the whole armor of God and going to war. Think about the drafts, right? World War II, Vietnam. I mean, the whole idea of I'm giving up my family, I'm giving up the comforts of home, I'm giving up everything that I enjoy in life to put my life on the line so that other people can be free. When we become Christians, we get drafted into that, or we get inscripted into that spiritual warfare. We line up, we put on that whole armor of God, we wield our swords, our shields of faith, and we go to war. And we have to lose our lives, the Scripture says, so that we can find it through Jesus. We have to give up everything that that makes us Billy Hatridge of earth and be reborn through Christ, Billy Hatridge of God. Jesus, a spiritual rebirth, that we don't conform to the world, but we're transformed through the Spirit. Jesus makes it clear numerous times throughout the Gospels, and Paul builds upon that in his letters to the churches, that the Christian life is not an easy life. There is no coming to Jesus, then you have nirvana from here on out. It's a fight every single day. I lost a lot of friends when I started preaching. We're not lost. We still talk here and there, but they they distance themselves from me. It strained relationships within my family. I've got cousins and aunts and uncles who, before I started preaching, were happy to talk about God and the gospel. And These are Christian people. But when I started preaching without any kind of ministry training or going to school, and they didn't see that in my future, and they, they felt like maybe I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing, that maybe I didn't belong in the pulpit, they've distanced themselves from those conversations. But I need not worry about that that cannot kill or destroy my soul. I need not worry about the physical, about the temporary, about things that will one day pass. Because everything passes. Everything we fight, everything we encounter, all the enemies that stand before us as we fight these spiritual battles, all of it will one day pass. Except for our souls. If we do it right. But even God can destroy our souls. We often talk about hell and spending an eternity in hell, about the afterlife as thousands upon thousands of millennia burning in hell and damnation. But let's not keep let's not forget that, that God and Jesus talks about a spiritual death, destruction, nothingness. Not forever and ever and ever in hell, but you're not there, period. You're gone off the face of creation. Your soul has been destroyed. 
That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about an absolute death. And so when we talk about the Word of God and we talk about the spiritual battles that we fight, we have to remember what we're fighting for. That's our salvation. That's heaven. That's paradise. That's going to be with Jesus and God in those mansions He's prepared for us forever and ever. To be in a life without sin, without pain, without corruption or heartache or sorrow. To one day have God Himself wipe the tears from our eyes. We're fighting for that. We're going to go back to Ephesians one last time to finish it off. Continuing on with verse 18, because verse 17 says, "...to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychius beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Are you an ambassador for God? Are you an ambassador for God? Are you making it your life's work to make the mysteries of the Gospel known? Is that your identity? If someone thinks a moment about you, do they think the thought Christian? Do they think the thought Jesus? Do they think the thought religious, spiritual? Is that part of your identity? That you're a child of God? That you're a soldier for Christ? Are you such an ambassador that people recognize it when they see you, even strangers. We carry ourselves in a certain way as Christians. So much so that we don't even have to speak about God for people to see His glory. I remember, I think it was last year, we were at Cracker Barrel. We were eating lunch. And this lady came in, this older lady came in. She sat over there by herself and you know, you know, Addie, y'all all know Addie. She's, she's waving and making faces and already talking back and forth there. And we're sitting there. And the lady comes up and she comments on, on how, you know, sweet our little daughter was and all this stuff. And she said, I can tell by watching you that you are a good Christian family. This lady, she didn't see us pray over a meal. We weren't talking about God or church or anything. We're just sitting there eating with our daughter. And she sees the power of God there at that table. That's the kind of Christians we need to be. 
carrying ourselves in such a way that people see the Gospel, that people can feel His presence when we talk to them, that they sense that salvation and that forgiveness and that powerful Spirit that we have. Because as soldiers for God, we are also bannermen so that people can see who we're fighting for. Paul sits there, an ambassador in chains, he writes. And he's writing to the Ephesians. This last letter he's ever going to send them. These are people he knows and loves and cares for. And he is going to be dead in a matter of hours. And he's writing to them from prison. And he is telling them that he is at peace, that he is contempt, that he is wonderfully comfortable and at ease with his fate because he believes in Jesus Christ. The worst possible place you could be, a persecuted Christian in the Roman prison. And he is happy about it because he knows he has fought the good fight, the fight of faith, and that he has put on the whole armor of God. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, the Lord God, we just call upon You this morning, Lord, just to allow us to, to put on that whole armor of God, Lord. Lord, the belt of truth, sandals of peace, Lord, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, Lord God, the, the sword of the Spirit. Let us wield all of these things in the battles that we face Lord God, whether the inner demons in our own minds and our own hearts, Lord God, all the, the, the lust and greed and envy and wrath and hatred and, and anger that we deal with every day, Lord God, just allow us to slay those demons. Let us carry these weapons out into the world, Lord God, the Word of God and our faith, and, and let us be able to, to slay the demons of the world who are trying so desperately to pull us away from You and Your glory and Your forgiveness. Lord God, let us not conform to the world, but be transformed through the renewing of our spirits. Let us be Christian soldiers for You, crying Your name from the mountaintops. That each and every day we live lives for Christ. That we lose our lives here on this earth so that we can find them once again in Jesus' name. That we can be made anew. Lord God, we know that we will be fighting each and every day for the rest of our lives here on this world. And we just ask that you give us the strength to do so, the perseverance to do so, that every day we can wake up energized, rejuvenated, ready to fight whatever demons come our way. So that one day, when the good fight is over, when we breathe our last breath, that we do not face a spiritual death, but everlasting life that we are granted by the blood of Christ that was built on that cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, we just pray each and every day that You forgive us for our many sins, that You give us the strength to forgive and to love others as unconditionally as Christ loved us. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to this episode of the Hatridge Sermons. If you feel led to donate to my message or to this show, I ask that you simply donate your time or money to a local food pantry, charity, or mission. And if you ever find yourself in Southwest Arkansas, 
feel free to visit. We'd love to have you. You can find us at the Ben Loman Cumberland Presbyterian Church at 10 a.m. or the Brownstown Community Church at 11. Thanks again for tuning in.